0: this is the current federal tax developments for the week of december the 27th 2022 current federal tax developments are brought to you by capital financial education and by your state society of cpas med and from here in phoenix which may be the only place in the country along with los angeles to have totally avoided the storm this week probably san diego skipped it too uh, in any event been a nice christmas week here if not anywhere else as far as i could tell uh, and we're going to talk about though what went on this week which was A little bit interesting, shall we say, in tax. I'm going to start out with a quick discussion of what's not yet law, uh, but we expect to become law by the 30th, and we'll talk about that. And that is the fact that Congress passes a spending bill, and inside of it is one tax provision, a tax set, which is the Secure 2.0 Act of 2022 was included inside of the program. Now we'll talk about the fact that nothing else was and what that nothing else included, uh, you know, things that you're not going to find in that bill, but we'll talk a little bit about what's in there. We also this week had the final schedules, K-2 and K-3 instructions issued for S-corporations, but not yet for partnerships. And that's becoming more interesting because the S-corp instructions came out early in the week. And yet we got through the whole rest of the week without seeing the partnership version of them. And every other time we did the drafts, it was the partnership version that came out first with the S corporation second. So we'll have to see what that means, if anything, except maybe somebody who has to approve the partnership instructions, simply decided to take the week off for the holidays and now is stuck in some random airport somewhere in the country. So we'll see how that goes. We also have a couple of big developments that came late in the week Uh, on the 23rd. The IRS delayed the digital asset reporting rules until they issue final regulations so this is going to be one of those things where hey you know what we actually have these these rules are going to be kicked back and i'll talk about that because i saw a lot of postings come up recently about the issue that yeah you know if you don't transfer things out of exchanges by the end of this year they'll be reporting whenever you do and all those sorts of things well turns out that yeah the due date's not there of course hopefully your exchange doesn't go the way of ftx which case then maybe you probably should have transferred out of there a long time ago for reasons totally unrelated to tax reporting but we'll deal with that as well and finally we're going to talk about here the fact we also got a shall we say very welcome one year delay in the expanded form 1099k reporting uh, that was going to take place for 20 2022 transactions now the only concern honestly for me is uh what's going to happen here when uh you know, companies that have already set up to do this and may be ready to do it based on a $600 limitation. Are they going to even bother to try to redo it to send them out over the old $20,000 and multiple transaction limitation? That's probably not clear. So I have a feeling we're still going to see some 1099-Ks come out. Whether the IRS will do anything with them this year if they're below 20 grand, that may be more likely we'd see something done internally with the IRS where they just ignore it my idea is there to a large extent I think the IRS did this because congress had been the last second kind of seeing maybe we should do this and didn't get in the bill so I think what's really happening here is that the irs has effectively decided we're going to give congress a year to change this and if they don't change it within a year then I'm going to assume they mean it and we'll go forward from there so we'll see what happens but let's start talking about the secure 2.0 act of 2022 that was set to the president for signature this week. Now, this bill was included in the Comprehensive Appropriations Act of 2023. And that's fitting because we go back to the Comprehensive Appropriation Act of 2020, that's where we got the original SECURE Act. It's also interesting that while everybody referred to this as SECURE 2.0, when it was moving through the House and when it was moving through the Senate, it was given two different names in the House and Senate. It was never referred to as SECURE 2.0 but suddenly when it got pulled into this bill and the house and Senate agreed on what they were going to put in the bill, uh, it did become secure 2.0. I think they just were just too tired. It was too far along to come up with a new acronym that cause they obviously couldn't use either acronym they already had used because that would have given credit to the house or Senate. So they needed a third acronym. And my guess is they just said it's late. We're trying to get out of here. Let's just go ahead and call it secure 2.0. So that's what it's called the Secure 2.0 Act of 2022. Now, there are a number of interesting dates in here, including some effective dates that are effective for plan years beginning, plan years or tax years beginning after the date of enactment. And as you may be aware, date of enactment is the date the president would sign the bill. And we're sitting here very close to the end of the year. And many of these years, plan years or tax years, we're talking about are going to begin on January 1st, New Year's Day. So you might be a little concerned about what happens if it doesn't get signed until after New Year's Day. Well, we have a little bit of advantage, a little bit of items working to our advantage here, not the least of which is the continuing resolution that allows the federal government to continue operating without having to shut down expires on Friday the 30th. And Congress is totally out of town at this point. So there's no realistic option, it would appear to extend the continuing resolution. And I doubt that the uh, president wants to shut down the government uh, over the New Year's Day holiday uh, to come back then on the 3rd and see if we're, you know, hey, might open things back up. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he has no problem with that. Who knows? We'll see what happens. And also, don't forget that back in 2020, we suddenly got a lot of drama at this point. We had a bill that we were pretty sure the president had said he was going to sign that both houses pass. And then suddenly the president starts getting cold feet. Well, as you remember then, eventually the president did sign the 2020 version of the similar package bills, and we did get them. So as Yogi Berra used to say, it's never over till it's over. So still keep an eye on when the president actually signs a bill. As it stands right now, one real problem we have is, as far as I can tell, we still, as of this moment, I'm recording this on Boxing Day, the, you know, December 26th. And uh, we still don't have an actual official version of the bill as passed out of the house and sent to the president. My understanding is that it's still being worked on. And the best bill I've got is a copy of the bill that the house, that basically the house rules committee posted, which in theory would therefore be the bill the house voted on, which in theory needs to be the one that goes to the president because you know, the Senate was out of town. We couldn't say anything back there to have them vote in favor of something. But those of you who remember the uh, Gallo Trusts and how that appeared in a bill when nobody we even had any clue it would show up there. Uh, you always wait till you see the real number and the real bill before you do anything with a bill. So I'm still officially waiting on the bill text. But that said, if you've been following along on the Secure 2.0 Act, one thing you should note is it does not appear that any changes were made to it after the bill was introduced in the Senate that you know the the bill as part of the comprehensive appropriations act it is different from either the uh retirement bill that the house passed back in the summer and from the uh, retirement bill that the way that the senate reti- senate finance get the right committee name there the senate finance committee pushed out on you know here just recently let's say later in the fall uh it does have some changes there so if you haven't looked at the at least the version that got introduced into you know they actually voted on by the senate and passed then you haven't really seen what's in the bill yet for sure now some of those things you will notice if you read that part of the bill is that we are going to push back the required beginning date to 73 beginning next year and okay there's a drafting error here but we're going to presume to go with what they meant for their summary they gave us as opposed to what it actually reads Uh, What actually reads right now is very confusing. If you were born in 1959, uh, you have two required beginning dates as far as we can tell under the laws that exist right now. Presumably they'll fix that because that really doesn't become a problem until 2032. So we have a little bit of time to get that technical correction in place. But assuming we finally get this worded the way they mean it, that date would eventually push back to 75 in 2033. Now, obviously this is done for budget issues, what they did here was simplify it down. The original proposal had you know, it went to 74 eventually and then finally to 75. Now we get the 73 immediately. And I'm a little bit surprised about that. There's been a lot of speculation that the age 73 date would be pushed back to 2024 because we know for sure, as we've seen consistently, when something like this happens late in the year, that the uh, financial institutions scream like mad about how this is impossible. They can't update their records this fact. They can't update their systems as quickly. Uh, I think that's mainly because've been allowed not to update them for years. Those of us who actually do tax work in detail discover that we don't we're never given a choice. We have to make it work. Uh, no matter how unreasonable Congresses or the state legislature's timing may be, we just have to make it work. My guess is we will again see the financial institutions whine about this. We will therefore again see the IRS issue some sort of oddball relief about people being notified about a required distribution in 23 when it doesn't really exist and the institutions will be allowed to issue their, uh, you know, their statements and information this year with that, but they'll have to give a follow-up that says, Oh no, you're not required to because you turned 70 cause you turned 72 and 22. Uh, and even though that appeared to be, or I should say, yeah, you know, that they you turn 72 in 23, not 22, you turn 73, 72 in 23. And while that initially meant that you had a required beginning date and a required distribution next year, now it won't mean that. Okay, whatever we're doing. And like I say, eventually we get to age 75. We have much higher 401k plan catch-up contributions, ages 60 to 63 it will be apparently at least $10,000 for those hit, those ages during that time frame. So we'll have an advanced one. Now, as I said, it's interesting enough that once you get to 64, I guess they decide it's too late. I found this age range interesting because remember, normal retirement date today for anybody who is reaching age 60 is age 67. So why they've decided for social security purposes, at least. So why they've decided that despite all of that, we're only going to allow this extra catch up through age 63. Your guess is as good as mine. Probably the answer to anything absurd like that is always budget numbers. They decided it would cost too much in budget numbers. So they did that. Another one that Congress is allowing us to do is do a long term 529 plan rollover to Roth IRAs. Now it is limited. Uh, it's only thirty five thirty eight thousand thirty five thousand. I'm now forgetting the number, but you can look it up pretty easy. It also, that 529 plan had to be around for 15 years. So you can't just use this to put in. You also are limited each year in what you can do in the rollover because it's tied to the contribution limits. So obviously there's going to be some odd situations there, but it does mean if you have some excess funds left in a 529 plan after, you know, Joey graduates from college and he's, you know, finished up all of his grad work and everything. So we don't have any other college work for Joey to take care of we can go ahead and put in the 529 that 529 plan into a Roth IRA, but it has to be for Joey. So that is part of part of the limitation involved with that issue. We also added a number of additional cases where funds can be withdrawn penalty free. That includes for unanticipated expenses, terminal illnesses with an expanded seven year view in that realm versus what we normally had was a much shorter view of what was terminal in other cases in the code uh you know we have various other situations where we already added that birth of a child could do it and by the way that one they did patch the quirk from the secure act now you got to put the money back in within three years if you want to put the money back in a retirement account because as they discovered you couldn't get a refund of the taxes you paid on the distribution after three years so maybe we should tell people they really need to put it back in three years so we do have that in there at this point they also made permanent what they've tended to adopt every time in the past the disaster withdrawal rules where you're allowed to take money out of the plan due to a natural disaster. It is however for a much lower number than the tradi- than the amount they used to do. We used to be allowed a hundred thousand. The number is significantly lower than that in this bill. Uh, but again, you pick it up over three years and you can pay it back anytime during that, those three years into to put it back in the retirement plan. So we have that back in place. They also decided to create simple and separate Roth accounts. Now, this is, again, Congress, when they go for revenue raisers, they have loved using uh, as their revenue raiser, a, you know, somehow to get money into Ross, as opposed to being in regular retirement accounts, which they count always as a revenue raiser. And this is another case of doing that. But in any event, uh, participants in a Roth or a simple will be allowed to designate that the contribution should be put into a Roth version of the same. We will have a Roth simple IRA as well due to this. So it's going to get kind of interesting in that regard how all of this goes. Also, money raiser in here, they put in some restrictions on deductions from syndicated conservation easements. They've essentially took the IRS notice that was recently struck down and said, yeah, well, we're not going to worry about whether it's a listed transaction or not at this point. However, what we are going to do is totally disallow the deduction. If you have that multiplier, so you have something that goes up too much, two and a half times the basis, you're claiming that it's going to generally be disallowed. Uh, there are some exceptions there for family partnerships could get off and do that. Also exceptions in there, if the assets been held for a long time by the partnership and the assets and the partners have been the partnership for a long time. But in essence, this is a legislative way to reduce syndicated conservation easements, just kind of essentially make it just not work. Then number two, though, what it is, unlike though the original proposal, this one is not retroactive. This one is going to be from date of enactment. So it's not going to give any statement about whether these ones that have already been sold and somebody has already purchased or somebody's already, you know, it's already been triggered whether that's gonna be considered allowed under the law or not. So it's kind of interesting how Congress got that in, but it was a revenue raiser in this point. Now, be sure to check for effective dates because there are a bunch of them in here. There are provisions in here that are immediately effective. There are provisions in here that are not effective for years. So you gotta be very careful when you read about something, especially something that's been added to plans. Is this something that takes effect as soon as the president signs the bill? Is it something that takes effect well, it won't be as soon as he signs the bill, but January 1st, if assuming you have a calendar year plan or a calendar year taxpayer for the various different ones, whether it's plan year or tax year, that it'll be effective for all practical purposes immediately. Or is it one where you're going to wait a number of years before it can be used? So keep track of that. The big thing that was not in the year end bill, uh, aside from this provision for the secure act, there is no tax title in this bill. And what that means is none of the extenders got in here. So, if you were thinking you're going to get out of the 175 research and experimental uh, capitalization rules for 2022, well, you're not going to get out of them from this bill. That also means it will have to be the next Congress that would put this in place, would go ahead and retroactively uh, repeal this if that's what they do. So, we'll keep our eye on that. Similarly, If you are hoping Congress was going to allow you to compute the adjusted taxable income for Section 163J for the business interest deduction by not having to count depreciation, amortization and depletion, uh, that also tough luck. Not in the bill. That will be your limit, which is going to greatly reduce business interest for a number of capital intensive businesses. Um, Bonus depreciation dropping to 80 percent. Yep, that's going to happen at least initially for next year. So, yeah, your clients need to get their ass, get the uh, equipment in service this week. Remember, it's not enough to just buy it. You got to get it in service, which means ready and available for its intended use, which is a little bit different. Uh, generally, though, it's really got to be delivered. Generally, it's got to be, you know, it's got to make it to your client's location. So your client just can't call up and order a bunch of Dell computers today that are going to come for delivery sometime in mid-January. That That's not in service at this point. So you have to get something to get put in service today. That may not be quite simple the last week of the year, but be aware if you want 100% bonus next year for a lot of small businesses. Obviously, 179 can kind of fill in for it. There are some quirks with 179 that can make it less useful, especially if you have, let's say, trust uh, as shareholders or you know, you're going to be able to whatever reason you want to be able to claim the loss out of the business. So you, you want to be able to increase the loss of the business. You have to remember we got the business, we got the taxable income test at the entity level for a partnership or S that could restrict our 179. So we got various odd things to work on there. So 179 is not a perfect exception. Also, there is no expanded child tax credit. Now, the question is to these extenders going to be, what's the chance Congress fixes them next year? Very early in the year, probably none at this point in time, we're not gonna have Congress just show up and immediately pass an extender bill. And one of the key reasons why that won't happen right now is very simple. Until the uh, issues regarding who is the Speaker of the House are determined by the incoming House representative, uh, they've stopped actually doing any work of setting up committees, setting up committee chairs, and those things. Now, some of them, we kind of know who the chair is gonna be, but for Ways and Means, which is always a very popular and a plum position to be chair of that. Last I heard, we had at least five different Congress people who wanted that position. And obviously if you know, it very well could be used by a candidate for the speaker to win votes over. So it depends how this goes. Now, if Kevin McCarthy, who in theory is the party that was the individual who the Republican party caucus chose to be the next speaker, if he can consolidate his votes in time to get 218, uh, then yeah, we may get things resolved earlier. If not, it's possible this speakership issue could drag on for quite a while because it's not clear if not Kevin McCarthy, who would have the votes. Now, this could all be solved in about 20 seconds. You never know how these things go because Congress does tend to operate that way. Things that appear insoluble suddenly get fixed in no time flat or the speakership issue could drag on for weeks. And obviously that, that puts the house way behind in doing anything legislatively. My guess is they're going to treat the extenders bill as something they could go and visit the end of the year because, Hey, you know, it's like we we can wait till the end of the year because it didn't get taken care of and you can yell about 174 all you want. But obviously Congress decided that wasn't worth fixing. And the main reason currently to be totally honest, is right now there is still a major concern on signing off on anything that would be scored as increasing the deficit as long as inflation numbers continue high. Now, the most recent inflation numbers were actually way lower than expected uh, for the month. If that were to continue and suddenly we're not talking about inflation anymore, because remember, a year ago, people weren't really talking much about it and it didn't worry Congress and now suddenly it did just as suddenly it could be not a worry anymore. Then it might see this in. But I don't see right away this coming up, both because it's going to just take the House quite a while to just get organized at this point, since they've not done all the prelim work that normally would have been done a long time ago for the incoming Congress, just like the, the prelim work on the Senate side, for both you know the majority and minority party is pretty much all done they're ready to go but they're all ready to go and there's you know they're going to find out that there are two houses you know two different chambers and the senate by itself aside from concern, confirming appointments can't do much. so i expect the senate's gonna spend a lot of time confirming appointments because that's pretty much all they can do until the house basically gets their act together and after that we'll see if we get any sort of move to take care of extenders but like i said my gut reaction is That's not going to be the number one priority of the house and therefore end of the year probably so yeah get ready to file returns with 174 capitalized and you only get to take one tenth of what you paid this year as that because again remember we got a mid-year convention as well on these amortizations of these experimental and research expenditures So if we expended $100,000 that we decide was research expenditures, uh, instead of getting to take it all as a deduction as we would have in the past, we have to take that as over five years, but only one half of the first year, only one half for the first year. So that's going to be 10 grand or a loss of 90 grand in deductions. Other developments this week. We have an interesting development in both what came out and what didn't. Number one, the 2022 S-Corporation instructions for schedules K-2 and K-3 were released on December the 20th. So basically a week ago, right? That's interesting. There is no change from the December 5th draft instructions with regard to the domestic filing exception, which is that way you can get out of doing K-2 and K-3s if you have no foreign activities. Uh, You know, your partners don't request a K-2 or K-3 at least one month before the date you file the return there's no changes in that. So again, you can issue the notice with the K1. That's clear. It can be part of the, it basically can go out as part of the K1 attachment. Uh, The one month date is still one month before the day you file the return, which of course, since the K1s tend to go out when you file the return, that means that you're not required to notify anybody about this fact. You're not getting K3s until the day you file the return and essentially One month after the date, somebody would have filed a, hey, I need this. It would have forced you to attach the K2 and K3 to the return. I find this bothers a lot of people. They're they're just like totally lost about that fact. And they keep insisting you got to wait a month. No, you don't. Nothing says you got to wait till August 15th. I mean, in essence, I, I put a challenge up to anybody. Show me where it says in the instructions you do this. Show me where it even implies it. It frankly, straight up says you send them out with the K ones. It frankly, straight up says you, you know, you basically don't worry about this unless somebody notified you a month ahead. And it has no, no even indirect statement that you must give people a month to make the notice. Unlike what you're going to find those of you in Arizona, there is a clear date that you've got to give people 60 days to opt out. If you make the past entity tax election in Arizona, Uh, California has a similar timeframe for theirs. I mean, it's not that tough to write instructions and write a law that says you gotta wait X, peri- X days, X period, if you wanna do that. They didn't do that in this case. But I also think the whole thing may be moot in many cases. Be sure you check your software. I know right now that at least uh, basically Lassert and Ultratax each have options to essentially effectively just say, hey, this thing is all US activity, right? This this partnership has only U.S. activities and their software will go and grab the line item details, which is mainly what goes into part two and part three. It will grab that stuff, put it on the K2 and K3, labeled as U.S. on a U.S. line. So line A, U.S. code for every one of those and put in the U.S. and total columns. Also go ahead and compute the average book value of the assets and that they will say are located in the us and essentially take care of 99 or 95 percent of the work of doing the k2 and k3 and frankly you got to ask yourself if you look and see what it does and how much time it check takes to effectively check a single box how much time does it make sense to spend trying to avoid filing this form Now, if the client simply wants to do it because they don't like to tell the government anything, you don't have to know, that's fine, but tell them they'll pay for that. Right. You know, you, you, you're, if you're going to ask for more work to be done, that that's great, but that comes with a fee, right? There'll be an expense involved. The big concern about going down that route is remember if you go that route, even if nobody says anything and you can file without the K2s and K3s, if somebody comes back later and says, I need the K3, you've got, basically one month to provide them with it which could be at a very inopportune moment and then number two that means next year automatically you're going to do the k2 and k3 anyway because next year you got to at least include the data for that person that asked you after the one month date this year so that said it's kind of interesting now the other interesting aside is the K- the s corporation version came out but the partnership one hasn't yet and this is interesting because what's generally happened is the partnership version of the K2 and K3 instructions on the drafts, on the two sets of drafts, they came out like a day or two before the escort version. But we got to final, the escort version came out on Tuesday, December 20th. And sitting here on Boxing Day, right, December the 26th, uh, you know, about, eh, let's say, 9 30 a.m mountain standard time so 11:30 30 a.m eastern standard for those of you in that that part of the country uh, sitting here at that point at 8 30 in the morning for those of you in california right and for those of you who are off in hawaii well it's 6 30 in the morning so we you probably weren't up to look for it right it's a day off so you just kind of stayed in. in any event wherever you are right now we haven't had those and now there could be a couple of explanations there is one major difference between the partnership and S corporation requirements for the domestic filing exception, and that is that the partnership one has a test for: do you have any partners who don't meet these specific qualifications? Which means they're a U.S. citizen, they're a resident alien, they're a domestic trust, a domestic state, right? A you know one-person S corporation, or a you know, or a disregarded entity that essentially is one of the other qualified partners. One of the questions may be, is the IRS still considering if they should change that list? Should they expand the list? Should they go back to last year's FAQ, where it was just, you know, domestic partnerships and domestic corporations counted, they, they were okay. Uh, this, this year, they're not, except for an S corporation with one shareholder. That's the only one that's okay. So we'll just have to see what happens. Now, as I said, when I started this, it could be as simple as the fact that somebody, you know, you have different people sign off on these different instruction sets before they're published as final. And the person that has to sign off on it, you know, took off the week to be with family for the holidays, uh, maybe stuck in an airport somewhere in the country now, can't get back. Uh, You know, it may take a while to get them just for things like that. Or it could be there's actual changes coming, but keep your eyes open for the final 1065 version of these instructions. Next up, we had two big announcements on the 23rd, right? So basically on the 23rd, which was, you know, remember, which is the Friday, the last day, which I always find it funny. You push things out like this. It's like, we didn't want to talk to the press about it. Generally is what it means or talk to any CPAs or other people that like to call. What I really found funny is that one of these actually doesn't even have a phone number to call. It tells you the general area that published it, but not a specific person to talk to about it, which also found funny. They really don't want the phone calls this time. This announcement, 2023-2, though this one, issued on December 23rd. And this one deals with digital asset reporting. Now, you may remember as part of the Infrastructure Investments and Jobs Act, Congress required that various, uh, basically, you know, entities that would be treated like brokers who hold digital assets, digital assets include, uh, virtual currencies and non fungible tokens plus anything else they come up with later, that those would end up being having, being subject to the broker reporting rules, which means whenever somebody has a sale of such assets, it must be reported. If it's transferred out, that transfer is reported. All of those sorts of things take place. There'd be all of this reporting that would happen. And that was gonna take place for 2023, meaning in early 2024, you would get the equivalent of a 1099B for assets held in these crypto brokerage accounts, quasi brokerage accounts. The IRS has said, what they plan to do is issue regulations in this area. And they said it's complicated. We also need to have comments, etc. So because of that, we have decided that no reporting will be required for such assets in the interim until at least these regulations are issued. Now, that doesn't really mean yet that it won't be required for 23 activity, because who knows when the regs come. But it's also something to note that when the IRS phrases things like this, remember we were supposed to have regulations to be issued on the pass through entity taxes. And that was back in 2020. And we haven't seen them yet. This is one of those things where sometimes the IRS puts out notices like this to essentially put things into modes where they just plan to like, we don't really plan to ever do this mode. And I don't know if because of the collapse of crypto, uh, because of everything that's happening, the collapse of exchanges, et cetera, if they've just decided that this is not really something to devote a lot of resources to, so we're going to really ignore it unless Congress puts pressure on us, or whether they really plan to do something serious. But keep your eye on this. So, digital asset reporting, not required. Whether that's good news or bad news, well, may depend. You might prefer, considering what you can get currently from some places, that I'd rather have the 1099B reporting, so at least I know what they did. But for all it's worth, it's there. Next up another one that this is known as 2023 10 issued on the same date. And if you remember we were going to have third party settlement organization reporting was going to be modified dramatically for 2022, reducing the amount to the trigger level from $20,000. And what was it hundred transactions to just $600 on care how many of transactions. So we'd have that transaction. So that would include things like PayPal, Venmo, uh, things like Uber, Uber Lyft, you know, those sorts of things, uh, you know, DoorDash, et cetera. Those third party summit organization reportings would have been now required for anybody receiving more than $600. Uh, There was an attempt late in the year uh, by Senator Manchin to essentially redo these rules. And, It got rejected in the year-end transaction. But I have a feeling that what the IRS is really doing here is the one-year delay is to give Congress time to modify the rule because the IRS is not thrilled with this rule either. Uh, For the simple reason, that's going to be a lot of paperwork and there's going to be most likely a ton of false positives, meaning that how much the IRS can do with this data, they can't just blindly start sending out CP2000 notices on it because they're gonna get a lot of these that simply aren't, you know, it's not a taxable transaction. And, you know, I know it's supposed to be limited to accounts supposedly now that are business related only, but you know, they're, you know, those companies aren't going to get that correct. And so we'll find it, you know, it'll probably be one of those things. So There'll be a lot of ones that you're gonna have to kind of file a report, put it on and back it off explaining that this was $600 for selling a bunch of old furniture, uh, where obviously what we got was less than what was paid for. So those personal loss, non-deductible, but we have to put on the return now because you've got this, this reporting notice. Now, the one thing to remind clients of though is while the 1099-Ks aren't coming, if they have been driving for Uber, they've been delivering meals for DoorDash, right? Or they, they've been selling stuff online, right? And you know they didn't go over the magic numbers but they still collected, let's say eight, $9,000 that this year, uh, you know, selling various items for far more than they paid for them online. That's still taxable income. The pushback of this does not change the tax. The tax result is the same, whether or not these reports are issued. Obviously tax compliance is wildly different depending on whether or not these 1099s are issued. Uh, but the mere fact that lots of people break the law does not change the tax reporting rule. And for me as a CPA, uh i'm not allowed to ignore the fact that you've told me that you had you know ten thousand dollars of this but hey no 1099 was issued i don't care i now know about that data uh and for that reason you got to report you know if you want me to sign your return we're gonna have to report that as income bottom line otherwise you need to go find somebody else to do it that's the way it works okay so this has been this week's current federal tax developments what I hope to do in the coming week is be able to get into detail, do some detailed digging into the Secure 2.0 Act. And probably next week, I'm thinking it's gonna be very likely, we'll try to do a little bit more deep dive in some of the main aspects of that bill. Again, we only have a short time here, so I don't plan to do a full-blown deep dive. That, that's what courses and webinars are for, uh, because there there you can do two hours and whatever and do that and you might as well be getting cpe if you're going to do that as well is the theory Um, and yes i'm working on some of that stuff at this point now uh, to see what we might do in that regard Uh, and so we'll see but otherwise you know we will kind of talk basically about it though so you have at least a starting point getting into tax season if you haven't already done so i would suggest you take a look at the senate finance committee's section by section summary That is still up on their website, as I recall. You probably Google for it, Senate Finance Committee, section by section summary, Secure Act 2.0. That's probably one of the best and most concise documents that outlines the basics of what's going on. Obviously, it's going to be important to know the specific details. uh, And in that case, you need the bill, which in the version I have right now is just over 4,100 pages long, of which about 350 pages represent Secure 2.0. If you have the original Senate bill, it's actually more pages, even though it's actually less text because they use bigger fonts. So we'll just ignore it at that point. Uh, otherwise, this is our last one for this year, right? When I come back, it'll be a 2023 version of the broadcast. So I hope you all had a happy, happy Christmas holiday if you celebrated that as well. Hopefully you're gonna have a good new year. 2023 will be good for you. Uh, the bad news is in tax that always means the tax season is right behind like, right around the corner. Your clients will start getting that stuff together, so we that ought to be fun. Uh so we'll get that together, but I will be back next week. We'll talk about that. We'll probably talk at least some about the Secure Act, the Secure 2.0 Act, uh and deal with that. If you have any questions as always, you can email me at com. You can also uh find me online at the Connect Sites for the Arizona New Jersey, Illinois, uh, Minnesota, and Washington societies, as well as online looking at uh, what the Idaho society posts on their site for questions there. Uh, Otherwise we will see you a week from now with the brand new year as 2023 starts with us and we'll be starting most likely looking at what exactly became, what exactly is part of what should be by then the actual new law that was included in the SECURE 2.0 Act. So see you next week.